wanna welcome you back to our series um, called Know Your Enemy. And the purpose of this series is to help us understand and engage in a healthy way this enemy that we come into contact with every single day. And if you've missed the beginning part of the series, I really want to encourage you to go back to watch the videos or to listen to the podcast because I think you need to understand what the enemy is up to. Um, you know, the enemy is real. And we deal with him every single day. And oftentimes, I think, in ways that we don't really realize. And, and today, we're going we're gonna to be talking about, uh, talking about some of that. Today, I want to talk about the power of propaganda. The enemy is a liar. Amen? And, and we're going to unpack that together today. Now, how many of you realize you are being lied to every single day? Haven't even realized that. Yeah. In fact, if you don't believe me, uh, I challenge you after you leave here today and you, if you go through a, a fast food uh, place, I want you to look at the picture of the sandwich you're ordering on the menu and then compare it to what you actually get. How many of you understand this completely? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about you, man. When, I go, when I'm in line at a fast food place, when I'm in that drive-thru, I'm just salivating. You know, I mean, this picture, I mean, the sandwich is this big and it's fresh and it's, you know, looks so good and the lettuce is so green and the tomatoes are so red. And then you get your sandwich and the bun is all smashed and, you know, the little, the, 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 all the red is out of the tomato and, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it, and it just, and I started thinking about this this week with this series because, you know, we're lied to in so many ways. And I started, I just started thinking about it. I really, I had a lot of fun with it, but I want you to think about, these are just a few of the lies and they're so many, we couldn't even begin to talk about them all. But I, I want to mention just a few of the lies you and I deal with every day. Uh, coming up on Christmas, I guarantee you, this is one of the lies you're going you're gonna to be told, easy to assemble. <laughs> how many of you are like me and there is nothing easy about assembling anything? You're know, like that? Yeah. How about this one? One size fits all. Oh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you see it on that model, whoever's wearing it, you'd never look like that, I guarantee you. Or for those of you looking for a job, you've ever heard this one, leave your, resume, leave your resume with us and we'll keep it on file. No, they don't. Don't believe that. They're trashing that. You know they do. Or how about this? And anybody ever had gotten upset because you didn't get the kind of service you, you're supposed to get or you're having to deal with something and you call, you call the company and here, here's what they say. Leave your number and a manager will call you back. I'm 66 years old. I'm still waiting on a call from a manager from when I was 37. You know, I mean, it just, it just doesn't, they, they don't. They just don't call. Or how about this? You ever get a call from someone and they say, I just need five minutes of your time. Yeah, no, it's never five minutes. It's always at least half a day. Or how about this? Your parents ever tell you this when they gave you a spanking? This is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. How many of you, your parents said that to you? Yeah, I remember my dad. My dad, you know, when, when I, I didn't get spanked a lot, I didn't because I didn't get caught a lot. But when, when my dad would take off his belt, he would he'd say that. I'm, this is going to hurt me a lot. I always wanted to just say, you know what, dad? I don't want you to hurt. How about you give me the belt? Let me whack you a few times with it, and then you'll, I'll hurt worse than you. Know. No, I, I never said that to my father. He would have killed me, but he, he didn't. Or how about this one? I'll be ready in a minute. How many husbands, how many of you, your wives have said this to you before? Yeah. 
How many of you know that, that you know, if this conversation, I kid you not, this, this last week had this conversation. Our grandson, Maddox, uh, was at our house, and Maddox is really impatient when he has something that he, he wants. And um, we were going we to go somewhere or do something, and we were waiting on Wanda, which is not really an unusual thing, um, but we were waiting, we were waiting on Wanda. And, uh, and Maddox, Maddox is kind of, you know, he's all, pay, and, you know, and, and Wanda said, I'll, I'll be right there. And, uh, and, and I, I said, Maddox, I said, when grandma says in a minute, you know what that means? And he said, what? I said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing. And it, it has no bearing in, in time. Or here's my, here's my last one, and this is my favorite um, you probably would have heard this lie. If elected, I promise to. <laughs> yeah, everybody moan. Yeah, because it ain't happening. I want to. I want to talk about that. Take your sermon outline out with me. Uh, track track with me. I want to. I want to begin with the verse where Jesus tells us really clearly what our enemy is like. John chapter eight, verse forty four. Read it out loud with me. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, I just want you to listen to this. Every time the enemy opens his mouth, he's lying to you. And what I, I've realized in my own journey of faith and what I was, was just walking through this week is he lies to us in so many ways. And I, I actually this week I thought I need to do at some point a whole series on this, The Enemy is a Liar, and, and just unpack this because each piece of this really is powerful and important. And I, I want to give it to you this morning, and I'm, and, and I'm trying to give it to you here as quick as I can, but I, I want you to really think about and open your heart to how are you, not just how are you being lied to, but here's the question, what lies are you believing now, here's the deal. If, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, the, the Bible says that we are victorious through Christ Jesus our Lord. We're created to be more than overcomers. Then the question is, then why do we live more defeated lives than we should? And, and why is it we struggle so much with things? And I'm going to tell you, one of the really big reasons is because we're believing lies. And that's what I want to help you with this morning. Are you ready? Here we go. Let me give you four of them. I'll give them to you pretty quick. Here's the first one. The enemy lies about who we are and who God is. The enemy lies about who we are and who God is. Now, for those of you who have spent years feeling really bad about yourself, and really bad about who you are, if you have doubted the love of God, if you have questioned a lot of these, the, of, of your own personal identity issues through the years, I promise you, this is a lie that the enemy is beating you up with. I saw a story, this happened just two years ago, and this is just, just perfect for what we're talking about. They throw that picture up on the screen. This is um, a guy by the name of Mick Myers. In that picture, Mick's uh, 67 years old, um, and he has been homeless for over 30 years. Uh, his story, um, Mick grew up in a family with loving parents, um, but his siblings were really mean to him. And he grew up being told a lot of things by his siblings uh, that really made him feel bad about himself. And uh, he really struggled uh, from a young age with low self-esteem. At 16, 
his parents were um, killed. Both of them were killed in a car accident. And suddenly, and now his parents who loved him uh, are gone. And now all he has left are these siblings who hate him. And it was upon the death of his parents that he made a discovery that he never knew. He was adopted. And it was because he was adopted that his siblings treated him so mean. And Mick decided, you know, I've got no one in this world. If I'm going to do this, I need to be on my own. And so he literally went out, got a job, started working, trying to make a little money for himself. Eventually, he became a truck driver. And for a number of years, he drove a truck. And if you can imagine, for someone who doesn't believe he has anyone in the world, a truck was a great place to hide. Yet it just exacerbated this sense of loneliness. And every day, he just felt more and more lonely. Finally, in his early 30s, he was in a car accident, broke his back. He was in the hospital for over a month. And when he got out, he was no longer able to sit for length of time in a truck. So he had to give up that job. And he ended up homeless. And for 30 years, he spent his life on the street. He played a little guitar. He would go around and he would panhandle and he would ask for money. And it was illegal in the city that he was in to do that. And he was always getting moved on. And finally, one day, throw that next picture up on the screen. This is a, a deputy sheriff by the name of Jacob. Um, Jacob had, had seen Mick before. He had had to run him on, off from spots before. And finally, he knew that he was going to have to give him a citation. And, and he felt really bad because you know, Mick didn't cause problems. Uh, he wasn't a drug user. He didn't, you know, he, he wasn't, you know, never involved in any kind of crime. Uh, and so he went to give him a citation. But before he did, he actually sat down with him. And they got into a conversation. And he, he heard Mick's story. And Mick's story absolutely broke Jacob's heart. And he thought, you know, this guy who finds out he's adopted, he thinks he has no one in the world, and he's got to be more. And so he had no ID. Uh, he, had, he had no identification. And, but, but Jacob decided to hook up with a friend who was a, a private investigator. And that through uh, some formal work records, they were able to kind of begin to go back. And this investigator began to kind of go back through file after file after file, finally discovered um, a, a name where Mick Myers' name was changed and, and discovered the adoptive family, the, fam- the biological family that actually given, had given him up for adoption. And what they discovered is his mom was still alive. She was 85 years old, still living actually not far away in another city in California. And so the investigator and Jacob made contact with the mother, and the mother was beside herself happy that she finally heard about her son, who she hadn't heard from, obviously, in, in well over, over 60 years. And so they made contact with Mick. They were able to take Mick to meet her. Throw that next picture up on the screen. This is Mick meeting his mother for the very first time. And she wraps her arms around him, and they just both are sobbing, and they make this connection. And then Mick sits down with his mother. Now, again, in Mick's mind, his family never wanted him. He was given up for adoption because he was a bad kid or because his parents just didn't want him and all that. What he discovered with his mom was after she got pregnant with Mick, her husband left her, and she was all, all on her own. When Mick was born, he had a hole in his stomach 
and required all kinds of a medical attention that she couldn't afford. And she was left with this really difficult decision. What do I do with this very needy medical baby that I, I don't know what to do anything with? And, and so there was a family that she'd come across who really wanted a child. And so they gave, she, she gave her son to them knowing that he would be well taken care of. It was not, it was not because she didn't want him. It was because she loved him so much that he, she gave him over to this family. And all of a sudden, can you see what's happening? Mick's story is completely being rewritten. All of a sudden, he discovered, not only do I have a family, I have people who love me. I have people who actually cared about me. I have people who, who really wanted me. Throw that next picture up on the screen. This is Mick getting to meet his nieces and nephews. And all of a sudden, he's got this extended family. And Mick was talking about, he, he found out his name was actually Gordon, uh, Gordon Michael um, yeah, Gordon Michael, and not Mick at all, and he, he all of a sudden realized he had this whole different identity that he didn't know about. He was loved. He was wanted. He did have a family, and when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, this is exactly what you need to know. Look at me. You are loved. You are wanted. You have a loving father who adores you, and you have a family that God places you in. The enemy is going to tell you time and time again that you are not worth anything, that you are not valuable, that you are no one, you are nobody, nobody wants you, and I'm telling you, it's a lie. He's going to tell you that God cares nothing about you. Every time something bad happens, the enemy's whispering in your ear, see, there is no God. God doesn't want you. God doesn't care. Look at me. But he does. I love the passage of scripture from 1 John 3, 1. He says, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Read it with me. Just look at it. We're called the children of God. That's who we really are. I love how God reveals himself in, in Isaiah 49. He says, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love uh, for the child whom she has born? Read it with me. But even if that were possible, I won't forget you. See, I have written your name in the palms of my hand. Look at me. I just want you to hear this. One of the lies that the enemy goes attacks, one place that the enemy attacks over and over again with lies is this identity of who we are. Look at me. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a beloved child of God, and you have a Father who adores you more than you could possibly imagine. Amen? Amen. A second lie, and some of us I, I know have experienced this, is he lies about the joy and the consequences in temptations. He lies about the joys and the consequences in temptations. Come on, it's just us. This is just a great place to confess. How many of you have ever given in to temptation, and after you gave in to temptation, you discovered it really wasn't as great as you thought it would be when you were tempted by it? Anybody want to admit that? Yeah. Yeah, I always love Mike Warnke's favorite thing when he was talking about doing drugs. He said, you know, you, you, know, you're, you're, you get down because your, your life's going bad. And he said, you're, you're two weeks behind on your rent and you have and no food in the refrigerator. So you get high to forget it all. And then you come down and you're four weeks behind in your rent. Somebody stole your refrigerator, you know. 
And, and I just thought, you know, that's just how, that's how the enemy is. Whatever he presents to you as a temptation, here's what I can promise you. It's not going to be as great as you think it's going to be. It's not going to be as satisfying as you think it's going to be. And it's not going to last as long as you think it's going to last. That's just the way it is. G- great picture of this. Some of you may have saw this in the news. Throw that picture up on the screen for me. This is Johnny Anderson. Johnny is a, 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 a truck driver in uh, England. And he was driving a, a tanker truck um, just uh, last month. And he noticed as he was kind of zooming across the highway that, that there had been a car who had been following him for a while. And it just kind of stayed behind him rather than passing him because he wasn't really going the speed limit. And then as he looked back, he saw that there were another car and another car and another car. And finally, there were 22 cars following him. And he thought, this is so weird. And he, he, he drives off the highway, he takes a turn off of a road, and he heads up to the gate. He was heading to a construction site, and when he got to the gate and he finally stopped, the car behind him started honking, and he rolls his window down, the guy comes running up to him, he goes, which gas station are you going to? Now, here was the deal. There, there was a, a shortage in gas in England, And a lot of the gas stations didn't have gas. And so these people seeing this tanker truck said, I don't know where this guy's going with gas, but we want to go and we want to get gas from there. These cars have been following for miles to do this. And Johnny said, I'm not carrying gas. I'm carrying dry mortar in my tank for this construction site. And all of these people driving got mad at him. (laughs) He said, they're all yelling and screaming. They said, you should have pulled over and told us you weren't carrying gas. Well, yeah, you're going to do that, aren't you? And I saw that story. I thought, isn't that how the enemy is? He goes, oh, look at this. And you go, oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, and you're just, you're just, oh, yes. And, And then you get there and what? What? Look at me. I love you. If there wasn't pleasure in sin, none of us would ever sin. But I promise you this, that pleasure will never be as great as you think it's going to be. It'll never be as satisfying as you think it's going to be. And it'll never last as long as you hope it will last. It just won't. And with it will come some horrible side effects. In chapter 23 of Proverbs, he talks about um, getting drunk. And uh, coming from a long line of alcoholics, I saw, I saw a lot of drinking in, in my life growing up. And, and uh, saw a, a lot of... Uh, the after effects of people who drink a lot. And I love how he says it here because I think he says it so well. He says, don't gaze at the wine, seeing how red it is, how it sparkles in the cup, and how smoothly it goes down. Read it with me. For in the end, it bites like a poisonous snake. It stings like a viper. Here's what I know. No one who ever woke up with a hangover wakes up thinking, boy, I'm so glad I drank that much last night. Or wakes up in a ditch because they crashed their car going, boy, I'm just, I'm so glad I went to that party. You know, it's painted such a a wonderful picture, but you know what? It's just not like that. There are always consequences to sin that the devil doesn't want you to know about. Come on, think about this with me. Think about the horrible mistakes you've made in your life and think about how the enemy hid what you thought from you. Think how he hid that. Because when we're tempted, here are the things that we think about. Nobody will ever know. How bad can it be? What's the worst that could happen? Look at me. You have no idea. You have no idea. Uh, Some of you may have seen this. Throw that next picture up on the screen. Anybody see this picture in the news? 
Anybody see this? This is an elk in Colorado um, that they've been chasing for two years. Um, this is a four-year-old bull elk, and uh, they spotted it two years with this big, huge tire around its neck. And uh, they finally caught him last month. They have never been able to get close enough to him. The Colorado Parks and uh, Wildlife uh, finally got a call from someone, said, hey, we saw that elk with the tire, you know, on our property. They were able to come out and uh, finally get close enough to, to tranquilize it. And uh, they end up having to, poor thing, they end up having to cut one of the antlers off uh, to, get the, to get the tire out from around his neck. The tire itself was 20 pounds, and it had another 10 pounds of debris inside. So this, this elk is carrying 30 pounds around his neck for two years. Now, I'd love to get inside that elk's mind for just a moment. To say, was it worth sticking your head through that tire now? Now, I don't know what was on the other side of that tire that he wanted. I don't know what you know, plant he was going to eat or, or, or what it was that caused him to push his head through to, to think that this is going to be a good idea. But I bet he doesn't think it's a good idea now. Or in my mind, you guys get this, right? I grew up a jock. You can get this. I'm imagining him as a young buck, you know, two-year-old buck with some of his other buck buddies, and they're out having a good time, and one of them sees the tire, and they go, I dare you to stick your head through that. Now, come on. How many of you have friends like that? Come on. Yeah, yeah. I dare you to stick your head through that. And I will. Don't you think of it? I will. And he, and he now, now look. And now wherever his friends. Friends are all laughing. They're out running. He stuck with a tire. Whenever the enemy tempts you, here's what you can be assured of. He's going to bite you like a snake. That's just the way he is. I, I love in, in the, the temptation, you know, when you see it in, in Genesis chapter 3, look at what the enemy says to, to Eve when he's tempting her he says, you know what, God, he, he had talked about how God said he'd die. And then look at the enemy, what he says. He says, you won't die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And you'll, you will be like God. You will be like God. Look at me. He's a liar. And we're still paying for that one. What I know about sin is this. It'll cost you more than you want it to cost you. It'll impact you in ways that you never thought of. And look, listen, look at me. Hear, hear, hear what I'm saying to you. And it will hurt more people than you ever intend for it to hurt. Amen? Amen. The third one I want to give you is that the enemy lies about the intentions, actions, and attitudes of others. He lies about the intentions, actions, and attitudes of others. Now, I want you to put a star by this or circle that whole phrase. And this is one I really want you to spend some time processing this week. Now, look at, look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live what? In harmony with each other. Read it with me. Let there be no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Now, make eye contact for a second. Unity is a big deal to God, 
And I'm not talking about just unity as a church. I'm talking about unity in the family, uh, our relationships that we have with one another. You know, we, when we talk about the, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus said, and the second one is equally important, and that is to do what? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, how we get along with each other is really important to God. To be unified with one another is a big deal to God. So if you're the enemy, what do you want to do? You want to create division. You want to come between husbands and wives. You want to come between parents and kids. You want to come between coworkers. You want to come between friends. You want to come between members of the church. Now, how do you think he does that? Now, here's what I want you to get. He lies to you. Now, you say, Pastor Steve, how does he lie? Let me give you a great example. This is, this is what God showed me just within the last couple of years, and I can't believe it. I'm so stupid. It took me this long to see it. I had a, a really rough day one day. You can imagine I deal with people like you all, all day long. <laughs> And so one day, I, I just had a really, had a really rough day. Um, I came home. I was tense. I was uh, on edge a little bit. And uh, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. All I wanted was me and as big a plate of food as I could get and my big screen. That's all I wanted, man. I just wanted a movie, a big plate of food, and, and my big screen. That was my addiction for the evening that was going to medicate my pain. And so I got my big plate of food, and I came over, and now I've, I've got a... 80-inch television hanging on my wall. It's huge. It's life-size. I jump in it. When I'm playing a Thunder game, I'm better dribbling with it, man. I mean, I just, I, so I, I get everything. I get my food. I get everything. I'm on, I, I'm on the couch. I can't find the remote. Now, Wanda watches the Today Show every day in the morning while she's getting ready. And I, her stuff was all over the couch, so I knew that she had been there that morning, and I knew she had been watching the Today Show. So I'm thinking, where could she hide it? Now, I'm looking, and because Wanda's short, I'm looking low, you know, in little places, you know, kind of very hobbit-like, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> and I can't see it. I, I look over here, and I, I move some of her stuff, and I can't find it, and I thought, well, maybe she was doing dishes, you know, maybe, and, and so I got up, and I went in the kitchen, and I'm looking on the counter around it, and, and it's not there. I thought, well, maybe, you know, she gets forgetful. Maybe she took it in the bedroom, so I go in the bedroom. I go in the kids' room. I, I'm, I'm walking all around the house, and now what, what is happening to me emotionally as I'm looking for that remote? Yeah, I'm getting more and more angry. I'm going, it's a remote. What? I got a box right beside where I sit. Put the remote back in the box, you know, and I'm, and I'm going, and I'm, and I'm thinking, she does this. She, she knew I was coming home tonight. She knew I had a bad day. She, she hid this on purpose. Does this sound familiar to anybody? And finally, I'm digging through her stuff on the couch, and there at the bottom of this huge pile of papers, the remote was underneath. And it's like, why would you bury a remote on the couch under that window? And, I, and I, when I stood up and I had that remote in my hand, I could feel the anger right here. And here's what I heard. I heard God say this. I kid you not. Do you really believe she hid that remote from you on purpose? And I stood there and I said, no. She didn't mean to. I'm sure she was just working and put stuff there. And all of a sudden, here's what happened. And I, and I, I hate, I hate to confess this out loud. 
I'm standing there by my couch, and I kid you not, it was like God played a video for me. And I looked back across 45 years of marriage of how many times I had allowed the enemy to use a natural occurrence of life to turn it against, for me, against her. How many times I had become frustrated or irritable or ugly and realizing that I was reading intention, that I was reading things into what she would say or what she would do. And you know what I realized? I was giving time and time again power to the enemy to come between me and my wife. Do you get this is what he does to us every single day? He doesn't want you to have a happy marriage. He doesn't want you to get along with your family. He doesn't want you to get along with coworkers. He doesn't want you to get along with your friends. And so he takes the natural bumping into that we do every day and he starts planting these seeds of why they say what they say or what they do, why they do what they do. And I'm telling you, he is lying to you. And I'm going to tell you that a huge part of our relational problems have nothing to do with the fact that we can't get along. It has to do with the fact that we're believing lies. And as long as we believe lies, we'll allow the enemy to create division. Can anybody relate to this? Because this is how he works. Amen? Amen. Let me give you one more. He lies about what God can do in and through you. He lies about what God can do in and through you. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean this. Some of you believe you're beyond hope, and you're not. Some of you believe that what you have done is unforgivable, and it's not. Jesus said, if any man comes into me, I will no likewise cast out. And that's you, regardless of who you've done. No matter where you've been, what you've done, or how long you've done it, God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Amen? Not only that, but no matter where we've been or what our background has been like, God can use us in ways that would stagger us if we would be open to that. I can't tell you how many times in 40 years of ministry I've heard people look at me talking about something in, in ministry and they say, you know what, I could never do that. I could never do that. I could look at me. Oh, yes, you can. You can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. Don't you dare limit what God can do through you. If you need a great example of that, just always go back to the Apostle Paul. Look at what he says. He said, you know, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. Read it with me. He considered me trustworthy, and he appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of God. In other words, Paul's saying, God forgave me. I killed people for a living. That's what I did. He said, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and you know what? I'm the worst of them all. Read it with me again. But God had mercy on me. So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience, even with the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Here's I put the statement on your outline. God can save the most unworthy and God can use the most unlikely. And I want you to grab hold of that. 
Because there are some of you, I promise, you're watching online, you're here today, God has been speaking to you, he wants you to draw closer to him, and the enemy keeps telling you you're not worthy to draw close to God. Well, none of us are worthy to draw close to God, but Christ Jesus made us worthy. God thinks you're worth dying for. You're worth redeeming. And some of you, God's been nudging you. He's been nudging you to step up and step out and and do some things, maybe stuff you've never done before. And you're so afraid. And you say, I could never do that. Oh, yes, you can. Don't you dare limit what God might do through you. Pastor Steve, what keeps us from becoming who God really wants us to be? The lies. Because the longer we walk in the lies, the less we allow God to really work in and through our life. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And that truth, it'll set you free. And when you walk in the truth of who you really are and who God really is, you'll be set free. and You'll claim your divine identity. When you walk in the truth of what temptation is really all about and the, 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 that true satisfaction only comes in walking in obedience to God, you'll be free. You'll be free from the power of the enemy over your life. When you walk in the truth that this world is not out to get you, not everything that happens is about you and not, not everything that happens when somebody bumps into you happens because they intended to hurt you. When, when you begin to get beyond that, you know what happens? You'll be set free and you'll have healthier and happier relationships. When you really believe that Christ can save the worst sinner in the world, And he can use the most untalented person in the world. When you really believe that, that's the truth. And that truth will allow God to work in your life in ways like you could never imagine. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here today to tell you that the enemy is real. And his number one tactic against us is to get us to believe lies. This morning, I want to challenge you to to start turning your face toward Jesus. And I want you to ask God to give you the wisdom and discernment to hear his voice, to hear what he's saying, that God would give you the understanding to know when it's the enemy at work and say no to what he wants and yes to what God wants. Rachel's got a, just an old chorus that I just love. It just says, open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. And I want us to sing that song and make that our prayer today as we invite God to work in us. Father, that's our prayer today. That you would give us eyes that could see, could see you and could see the enemy at work. Our prayer is that you would give us ears, ears that would understand the difference between his voice and your voice. Our prayer today is that you give us hearts that long to follow you. Lord, the enemy's a liar, 
That's when he, whenever he lies, Lord, he's just speaking his native language. That's what he does. He always is lying about who we are, who you are, about what life's about and things that'll bring pleasure but that really don't satisfy. He lies about our relationships. He lies about the things that you can do in our life. And the longer we believe his lies, the further away from being who you've called us to be, we'll be. So Lord, I pray, help us. Help us to see through all of that cloud that he sends. Help us to hear your voice in the midst of all of these noises around us. Help us to keep our hearts and minds and eyes fixed on you. Father, I want to I pray a special prayer today just because I know how strongly you spoke this lie, about this lie into my life, about how the enemy seeks to cause division in relationships. And Lord, I rebuke him today in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would help us as a people to, to hear and see what he's lying about, to help us to cling to you and to cling to one another, to know that the enemy's goal is if he can't destroy us, he'll at least seek to divide us. May we give him no quarter in our hearts, in our home, or in our church. May you be glorified by the way that we love one another. In the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.